Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Conscious Company Media's World Changing Women's Summit, hosted from February 20th to the 22nd at 1440 Multiversity outside of Santa Cruz, California, is a first-of-its-kind gathering for female professionals who work at or are interested in conscious and sustainable businesses. Top female CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, investors, and thought leaders from around the world will gather for three days to connect and share wisdom, insights, and best practices for thriving while changing the world for the better through the power of business. If you're interested in joining or know someone who should attend, go to worldchangingwomensummit.com for more information. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rick West. He's the CEO and co-founder at Field Agent. Rick, welcome back to the show. Man, Kevin, as always, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back on the show. You and I always have really good conversation. You've been on the, the TV version, the radio version, and I thought, you know what, Like, let's have Rick back on kind of post-Thanksgiving, but before Christmas, so we can kind of talk about how you kind of look and kind of reflect on maybe the year, the the year that's coming up, you know, and kind of how you balance the, the flow between kind of all that decision-making and kind of, you know, I think at least for me, and it sounds like from yourself, like you almost sometimes get lost in the trenches, whether you're actually building the product or you're you know, kind of the CEO and everybody kind of in between, it's hard to kind of sometimes think about the successes that you've had throughout the year and kind of looking forward to what you maybe need to focus on in the new year or even just think about, um, I, I think, celebrate the successes. Because sometimes, I, I even for myself, I think if, if you're not getting these like huge wins or you're closing these, you know, huge deals every week you can kind of forget about how how good of a year you did have or what you maybe need to work on in the new year and, and i know you and i have talked about kind of field agent and jico a handful of times on the show but i i do kind of want your perspective on on the year and whatnot but maybe before we kind of get into some of that stuff let's maybe give a quick intro of yourself and field agent and Jico and, and, and then we'll kind of dive into today's topic. Does that sound good? Fantastic. Perfect. So yeah, so Kevin, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as we've talked before, uh, I, I try to kind of box us into this, this little sandbox here that's, it's really associated with, uh, capturing data or in our case, we talk about, you know, in the moment information. So we use mobile technology and crowdsourcing to capture data at that point of influence when people are actually using a service or using a product mm-hmm. or engaging with something at retail. And so that's that's really the core of our base. And so as I, I tell your listeners often as, as we're talking, uh, I take that machine and the creativity comes in, which is really to some of their earlier questions we were talking about is that, how do I take that creativity that I had seven, eight years ago when we first launched and continue to use that and, and to take that passion and to take this machine that we've built and to make it broader than what it is today so that when people look at us and say, yeah, you know, field agent, if I, if I want to understand shopper insights inside of a store, they're great. Or if, if I want to check pricing or audit display, they're fine. But, but how do I look at them differently? And so we really want people to understand that as we look at different verticals, whether it's uh, mystery shopping or, or it's something to be associated with, you know, uh, some sort of syndicated data play. We come into play for all those areas, and so it really is just kind of broadening how people look at us, specifically as they look at our machine, which is called this machine of mobile research, mobile data collection, and crowdsourcing. Sure. No, I, I think that's really interesting. And, and for me, you guys have always been really kind of on the cutting edge of leveraging what kind of the new features of, of the phone. I, I know we've covered this a handful of times, but what I always thought was really interesting is you guys are very much like, you know, when the iPhone first 
3G came out, or was it the 3GS that first launched video? I can't remember because I was jailbroken. Yeah, my phone 3S. Yet. Yeah, okay. So it was 3S. Yep. And you guys leveraged kind of recording video and taking photos and stuff like very early on and, and turned Field Agent into a kind of a product where people could basically make money from their smartphone by kind of going out to a place and snapping a photo of, uh, you know, I don't know, some sort of what a competitor's doing or sure. a display at a store. And then you guys basically took the same kind of core technology, built a second product called Jico. And, you know, I, I always love when cus or companies, sorry, take their core and spin it into another kind of vertical because obviously the development time is cut way down. So I, I'm kind of curious to just so for people that haven't heard of Field Agent or Jico to kind of talk about how you, you used, you know, the field agent technology to move into another vertical. Yeah, so, so let's take this uh, this concept of, of JICO for us. As, as, we listen, as your listeners are, are tuning in here, um, using field agent to capture information at retail or inside of someone's home is primarily a project-driven conversation. Hey, I, I need a 1,000 data points or 5,000 data points. Can you capture this over a period of time? And we realized a lot of our clients simply wanted to have a, a very quick answer to something at retail or to try to understand how someone was using a product. Uh, and so we created Jico, and it's J-I-C-C-O. So if any of your listeners typed in Go Jico, uh, they'll be able to uh, play around with the, uh, the service. And it's primarily a, a location-based search engine. So you literally can type in anything you'd like to know about something inside of a retail location or inside of a... Uh, stadium or inside of someone's home, and within 15, 20 minutes, you're going to get customized data coming back for you related to answering a question, capturing a photo, similar to what you would do with Google. Now, it's not instantaneous, but you're not getting data that's six months old. You're getting live data coming in. So that was kind of us branching into a vertical. And, and as your, your listeners are, are thinking about what the future holds for us, what I'll tell you is that we are, are really trying to understand, especially with, uh, as I look at my new iPhone 10, and I needed to have that, Kevin, because I'm in technology. I had to have it. Yeah, of course, but, man, but as of you, course. But as you look at the 10 and the technology that, that's in your hand, uh, I think you're going to see some major breakthroughs in the industry as well as some field agent around photo recognition and really being able to mine data from photos because of the high resolution that we're able to capture today. Sure. Uh, more so than we did four or five years ago because you know I can take a picture of a display or take a picture of a shelf. Uh, and five years ago, it was okay. I mean, it's pretty good images. But today, I mean, I can answer the, the, the question about one price on the shelf, but I've also captured another 150 prices simply by having a great um, photo. And so how do you begin to mine that data so you can create either a syndicated data stream or – for your client, instead of providing an answer to a question, just give them a picture of, 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 of a, a display or something along those lines, and let's mine the data and be much more freeform or qualitative in nature. And I think you're going to see that being a major breakthrough over the next year. No, I 100% I agree. And I, I know like Google even kind of launched that like Google Lens at I.O., which you can basically like take a picture and then it kind of searches. So it, it's kind of along the same lines, right? And I actually just got like a Google Home the other day and I've been playing with it or the Google Home okay. Mini, I should say. And just like talking at something is kind of an interesting interface, right? Well, it's not really an interface, but or a way to interact with something. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. And, and I think you're right. We're kind of at the right we're kind of at an interesting point with like photography and being able to really analyze and through AI and stuff. And it's, I'm so curious to see what kind of Google and Apple do and companies like yourself, where you guys leverage, you know, the technology that, you know, obviously these companies put together and put out, right? Because I, I kind of mentioned earlier and we've covered in past shows is you guys are very up on this stuff and you need to be to kind of stay relevant with what's happening in the industry. And I think, that's kind of a good segue into today's topic where, you know, you've you've been at, you know, field agent for for what, almost eight years now. Um, right. You know, right. You, you spun off a product, Jico. And I, I, the curious thing to me, and I think I struggle with this myself, is like I mentioned a little bit earlier, is kind of celebrating the, the wins of the year, kind of looking forward for what we should kind of do next year. And I think, how do you kind of manage that and, and kind of 
motivate your team to say like, look guys, we had a good year. I know we're in kind of a busy month or a couple of months, but like, how do we kind of, you know, look forward to, to the new year and kind of decide, you know, the direction we're going to go, whether we need to change some stuff or keep going down the field. How do you guys kind of manage that? Because you guys are, I wouldn't even really say you, you guys are a successful company. You're making money now. How do you kind of keep the, the, you know, the train moving? All right. I give you a couple of things. Now, sure. Now, part of this is some, some of your listeners are going to hear this. You're like, oh, Rick, really? I mean, you're going to go down this path. But I give you a really, really simple thing that we do. Uh, and, and this is based upon a, a, a guy in Atlanta, a leadership guy. His name is Andy Stanley. Okay. And, and his push is change creates momentum. Sure. So you think of that very, very simply. So I'm going to give you a, a simple one. Um, every three or four months, we have every person, and we have 55 full-time folks, 25 part-time folks in wow. one building. Wow. And, and every three months, we make everyone change desk. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Again, now we have kind of, you know, pods and, and people sitting around all over the place and couches. I mean, it's a stand-up desk. It's everything. But uh, we have teams of people that sit close to each other, but we force people to change desks. Now, a couple of things happen to that. A, the environment, the change does create momentum. The second thing is um, because we don't have massive groups of 100 people on one team, uh, we might have four or five people sitting next to each other just because they were friends and it made sense to sit next to each other. And through osmosis, you hear things. Well, now I'm taking a couple of people from this account management group and having them sit next to project management. I've got a couple of people over here within design, and they sit next to someone in sales. You begin to hear things and see things differently. So just a simple thing like that creates tremendous momentum for our organization. And it's something that doesn't cost any one of your listeners a dollar. Sure. Just move. Just, Just move people around. The, the, the second thing that kind of goes on those same lines is that um, we oftentimes kind of romanticize back in the day when we launched Field Agent and how cool it was and how creative we were and all the things we were doing. And now that we're really, really busy and our heads down, we don't take time, A, to celebrate the, the wins, but B, to really encourage people to look at something that's different. And so we, we have a, a, a more formalized process. It, again, doesn't cost your organization anything but time. And you've heard Google do something similar, Apple do something similar. Um, but we have a term that's called a passion project. Okay. And we said, listen, every person in the organization is encouraged to take on a passion project that's outside of their normal day-to-day work. So, for example, you know, we do a ton of work with our field agents, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, a million plus people that's out in the field that conduct work for us. And so someone in our client services organization may say, you know, I'm really interested in how we engage our agents around communication. And they take on a project really trying to figure out how they would change the way we engage agents. Meanwhile, someone in agent services who really focuses on agents every single day, uh, they've got a really interesting project uh, around the way we do things for our sales development team and how we engage our clients via uh, a third-party software we use called HubSpot. Okay, and what happens with that is it keeps excitement change going, but at the same time, remember, you've got really, really smart people that come in that, that are excited about what they're doing, and then a year later, they're just focused in their silo, and, and we want to get away from that. So changing desk is really simple. But this thing called a passion project is really, really something your, your listeners should take on because that gets people excited. Uh, it makes them want to be part of the larger organization. And, and you know what it's like, Kevin. I mean, if, if you look at something long enough, eventually you just kind of see the same thing. When you look at it with fresh eyes, it's really, really interesting. No, I 100% agree. And I, I think the thing that's interesting, too, uh, is even just like posting it on Maybe like a whiteboard I found is kind of works in like the lunch area or something where you post like we had, I don't know, like we're now in X amount of countries because of this month or we had our biggest quarter ever. Like little things like that, that maybe somebody that's maybe on the design or development side doesn't really know, right? Like to your point, like you don't sit next to a sales guy, you don't really know if you closed well, I guess in your case, it would be like added X amount of, you know, kind of field agents this month, or it could have been your biggest month ever. But like, if nobody knows that, that's kind of, it kind of gets lost, right? And, 
You know, it really if, does. If I'm just sitting in the corner coding feature A, B, C, D, and etc., I don't really know that, you know, maybe November was the biggest month that a company's ever had. And so just trying to communicate that around is, is, is quite interesting. Right. So that's important. And then we tell people around this time of the year, and again, you think of our clients. So we've got, uh, you know, large retailers are our clients, yeah. uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, large CPG companies. Well, well, guess who, who, who really, they really, really do not want to talk to you the last week in November and the last two weeks of December? Sure. Our clients. Yeah. I mean, everyone's been stressed out all year long, and it's the only downtime they have. But, but Kevin, these are two of our largest months of the year. So we're cranking through, you know, exponentially high numbers for us in November, December over the course of a three-week month, and your clients really don't want to talk to you. So what we tell our team is that, you know, when you have downtimes like this and you're, let's say, you're in a client services and there's really no one to engage because no one wants to hear from you, you know, how do you take that time to do really simple things like, you know, kind of clean up your desk and everyone does that or clean up your files and play with it. But more importantly, how do you step back a little bit and really begin to look at the new year coming up, not into a, um, a kind of a new year resolution or big goals, but really just to look at your business and say, okay, looking at the first quarter of next year, how do I really take this time today to do things a little bit differently? And, and that's really hard for us to budget in, but, sure. but we tell our teams that you've got to take the time because if you don't, you're simply going to keep your head down and you're going to miss things. So. We try to make it more formalized. It's difficult because everyone's got a full-time job and everyone's cranking through things. But especially from a leadership standpoint, I continue to reinforce in our team, you've got to take the time to plan and you've got to take the time to look further out. And if you don't take that time, you're going to reach this burnout thing and no one's going to be happy uh, and, and everyone's just going to spiral. So we continue to reinforce that across our team, whether it's our director of people and culture saying that, whether it's me saying that, or our directors. It's always about you got to give me your day, right? You've got to focus, deliver the day-to-day. But at the same time, how do you squeeze in some time to look at the future? Uh, and it's really more informal, one-on-one base than the large organization taking a two-day offsite to go do planning. Got you. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious then, how long do you kind of look into the, the future when you're, when you're talking about this? Because I always thought just when somebody asked me, they're like, oh, where are you going to be in three to five years? You're like, oh, gosh, uh, really? You, I'm in technology. Like, what do you what do you think? Like yeah. the, the cell phone could be dead by then. It could be right. this crazy holographic thing. It could be who knows. Right. Like we have no idea what's going to happen in three to five years. R- realistically. Right. So I think right. it could be um, I like for, for me, I don't think necessarily the cell phone's going to be dead, but it could be in a different little bit of a form factor. I know Google tried with glass or it might, it probably won't be glass, but you, you, like we have no idea. It's still going to be some sort of thing. We're going to need something physical, obviously, to take a photo. We're going to need something physical to take a video and, and selfies and all that kind of stuff. But it might look quite different than how it is today. It might look the exact same. We have no idea. So how far do you kind of look out into the future when you're you're trying to basically see where your tech companies are going to go in, in the future? Yeah, well, we, we have uh, the luxury of having uh, one of my business partners, Henry Ho. Uh, he's also one of the co-founders of the company. And okay. he really is looking strategically for us out, call it 12, 18 months or so. Okay. And, and that's that's their job so that our organization isn't spending time saying, gosh, you know, how are we really going to take photo recognition and go take it somewhere? And how are we going to take on Alexa? And what's our version of Alexa going to be? And how's that mean? You, you just can't because you have so much in front of you. Uh, and so they do a really good job of saying, all right, let's vet this out. Um, you know, 30 years ago, everyone... Um, you know, actually 40 years ago, you didn't have a computer on your desk. Therefore, you had this thing called dictation where you would call into this recorder and you give the cassette tape to a word processing bank and then they would type in what you just dictated. Well, guess what we're doing today, Kevin? Okay. Voice, hey, why don't you pick up your phone and say, hey, phone, you know, show me this. And then you're actually doing all this voice recognition, voice to text. Well, that's something we did 40 years ago, but sure. technology wasn't there, but it's really, really simple, right? So, so you can't get caught up in that. But we've got those guys looking a little bit further out. We tell our team is that you need to really look three to six months out. Okay. 
Now that's, again, if you're client services, your agent services, your project management, look three, six months out, and, and be a good student of your clients because your clients will kind of hint and tell you where they're going as well because if we get too far ahead of our clients, they're like, yeah, that's interesting, Rick, but I, I don't think I could say yes to that. Now, Henry and his organization is looking 12, 18 months out. We work with two or three of our strategic clients, and we're talking about that really, really interesting you know, work that we want to do, and we've got these beta tests over here, which sure. is really how JICO came about. Sure. But that day-to-day aspect of things that we're looking at is really about three to six months out, and that way your entire organization can be a part of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, because for me at least, and I and I don't know what, what direction you guys are potentially going, but I think like you mentioned, you got the iPhone 10, and you know, like the augmented reality stuff has to be right. something you guys are looking at, and I could see you guys easily integrating, you know, that into kind of field agent and even Jitco, right? I think live being able to see in a in a location how a 3D display or of a model or a something or other in a store or wherever could be is really cool for you guys, right? And whether that gets yeah. delivered through, you know, the iPhone or a iPad or, or some other device with a lens doesn't really matter, right? Like, and, and so for me, you guys are kind of a hardware software company, even though you guys aren't really necessarily building the hardware, at least at this point, but you could maybe, right? Like that to me is what's fascinating about what you guys are kind of doing. Well, it goes back to the to the engine and the machine that you have. When you've got, uh, you know, 1.1 million people downloading an app, engaging in technology. And if I look, you know, a couple of three years ago and said, so, well, Google Glasses is going to be, you know, an interesting, you know, approach. Let's take that on. Mm-hmm. Well, we played with it for a while, but, but Kevin, you know, it's been two or three months, you know, yep. San Francisco said, no way. Yep. You can't even walk into a restaurant or a bar because it's too weird. And yep. Associate wasn't accepted. Yep. Well, you know, there is that concept of, you know, failing fast. We said, hey, let's stop work on that. Why, why on earth are we going to go down this path? Because it doesn't seem like it's going to be accepted unless it's in very rare cases where people log in and they or sign up for some specific use. And that's not something we could scale. But to your point, you have to play with it. You can't, yeah. you, you can't ignore it. But at the same time, you've got to put your kind of your, your puts and calls. You've got to bet on, on where your things are going, think things are going to go. And that's where I really think the image recognition piece um, it, it is going to be taken off for us. And obviously the piece on voice, you've seen it with Alexa and other things. Uh, those are two areas that we, we have to better understand because that's where technology is going. And it's had tremendous user or everyday consumer acceptance. And when you get those two, putting put those two things together, that means it's going to have some life to it. And so we have to be aligned with that. And we have to better understand how we're going to use it. Sure. And, and the interesting thing too is, you you brought it up a few minutes ago about basically you know that there's certain clients like even big name clients that are willing to to beta test things and others that just aren't there yet and that's fine and I right. don't mean that mean it's just it's nice that you guys have the ability to go to you know maybe two or three clients and say you know we're playing with this thing that works with this thing and you know it it might be the future might not be the future but we want to work with you to kind of see how it plays into your organization or not play in your organization and kind of decide, do we want to potentially roll this out to other beta partners or into the product or just kill it off like Google Google killed off glass, right? Yeah. Well, if you think, again, even as little as you know, two, three years ago, uh, if you look at the, the large enterprise type clients, they're having conversations around RFID. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What's the chip mean? Uh, then you've got an entire group of people saying, gosh, you know, iBeacons are the way to go. We're going to change everything. Yeah, so as, as a technology company, or in their case, a tech-enabled company, you know, we have to do the groundwork where you go work with a major retailer, you work with a major manufacturer, you know, we go purchase the iBeacons and we go put them in stores and we manually go do these. I mean, you have to be able to go do that. And then finally people say, you know, practically – I don't think that's something we're going to take on. Sure. So you can't not do it. Yeah. We have to play with it. And every now and then one of those will take. And now who's to say where iBeacons are going to end up? Who's to say where RFID is going to come in? So you have to be a, a part of that conversation. But we, which goes back to my earlier comment, I can't have 55 people in my organization worried about this thing called iBeacon and RFID. Sure. 
I've got a couple of folks that are trying to understand what it means and where we can go because it just it's just way too distracting. No, that's actually a really good point. And the other thing, uh, I want to go down that a little bit more, but one other point I was going to make to that is the, the thing that's interesting is I remember like QR codes. Everybody said it was going to yeah. be like the next big thing. And it really never caught on in, in North America for the most part. Um, other than maybe on some tickets and whatnot, but it used to like, but like in parts of Asia, apparently it was on like everything, like every poster, yeah. every, so like in that part of the world, that was huge in North America. It wasn't, but like if your guys didn't play with the technology, just cause it didn't connect or catch on in, in America, doesn't mean it didn't catch on in another part of the world. And you guys have stuff all over the place. So, you know, you kind of need to know just cause it doesn't catch on in a part of the world it might catch on in another part of the world and you might need to roll out something to a certain part of the world that doesn't exist in another part of the world is that fair yeah, so let, let's yeah let's take that conversation and, and the uh, there was a a day that was you know prior to apps mm-hmm. uh, the question was do you build or do you buy mm-hmm. now, do you build it internally or do you buy it from somewhere else well today it's do you build do you buy or do you download yeah interesting so let's use that whole QR code conversation. Uh, you know, we could spend the next you know six months trying to develop the most unbelievable QR code reader known to mankind, mm-hmm. or we can just download a third party's SDK. That's that's what they do for a living. Sure. Put that into your app and move forward and not overthink it. So sure. so it is a very interesting world for us when you get into some of the technologies you're talking about. You don't have to be the one that creates it. But you do have to be the organization that understands the work processes. Interesting. The, yeah. The pre and, pre and post information. Just because you can scan something doesn't mean you can process it. Doesn't mean you can capture it the right way. So all that's on us. But we don't have to go out and try to figure out the software and the hardware required to go do that. Because an iPhone or an Android phone with a really good barcode scanning SDK that's dropped right into your app you can scan anything globally, and from a, a character standpoint, I can do the same thing in China tomorrow. Sure. So that's been really, really interesting when you think from a technology standpoint because of that build-by-download mentality. Some things we want to build because it's proprietary, and Kevin, we can win with that. Some things we want to buy because it makes sense because we want to hold on to it, and, and we can really you know, kind of kind of run with that. But for a lot of things in technology today, especially with freeware and the, and the code that's out there today, downloading makes sense. Yeah, no, that that's a actually a really good point. And there's even a lot of open source stuff that maybe you're yeah. like, we'll buy, maybe we'll maybe we'll buy a version, or maybe we'll try an open source product or like piece to put into our software, and then if people are using it or it doesn't meet our needs going forward, you can swap it out, right? And then just update Absolutely. the app, right? Which is always kind of fascinating to me. So, but you brought up something kind of earlier about you have a few guys kind of worrying about the up and coming stuff and playing with that and, and, you know, kind of keeping your companies relevant, but that's not everybody's problem at the company. And so how do you kind of keep the people that aren't really necessarily worried about the future kind of thinking about how do you, what do you get them thinking about? Uh, well, it, it's building up on the base. I mean, okay. we, we talk about this all the time is that we've got this amazing base. So again, let's say that you're in, um, uh, account management okay. and we've got this amazing base of clients and we're doing really, really good work. So I would rather them focus on, Hey, here's the work we've done with our clients. How do you engage the clients and take that either broader horizontally across that organization? Or how do I take that vertically and go deeper and gather more information as opposed to trying to come up with the next widget. Okay, interesting. Because if, if, if I don't, then I'm going to miss tremendous opportunities along those lines. The same way with our agents, right? Uh, and how do I, do I really want to have my agent services organization trying to figure out something fun to do with our agents or really looking at here's the feedback we're getting, here's what we could do different, and let's really go broader and deeper around ethnicities, how we engage. Some people are visual learners. What does that mean? All those things are within our wheelhouse to expand our base, and it's not someone in agent services saying, wow, this would be a really cool thing we could do with voice recognition, blah, blah, blah. It's just too distracting. But at the same time, we talked about those passion projects. Someone may want to take that on and say, hey, here's my project. 
and I really want to go focus on this. And so we give them complete autonomy, but it's not core to what they have to do. I see. That's interesting. So when you say these passion projects, do they get time throughout their week? Are they kind of expected to do it on their own time, a bit of both? How does that kind of work? Uh, primarily throughout the week and, he, okay. and the team support because everyone does their own thing. And the only thing we require uh, is that they be able to present back to the organization that they're doing the work for, if you will. Okay. And also kind of, you know, we'll call it management, if you will, but they get in front of the owners and really say, here's what I'm passionate about. This is what it looks like. And it's our responsibility to get back to them and say, this is what we can, and you know, what is what we can do. Here's what we're going to take from that. And so it's pretty exciting because uh, you know what it's like. You get so tunnel, you know, fo- yeah. focused on the things in front of you, uh, and it's hard to break free. So if that's part of the culture, and again, you hear it from Apple and Google and others saying the same thing, but if that's part of your culture, then people will support it because they're going to do the same thing, and you're going to support them when they're off working on their project. Sure. No, I I think that's that's really good advice, and I I think for the most part like all the different verticals inside of a company kind of have their their downtime throughout a year. It might be a little bit trickier right. with maybe like developers or, or maybe customer support, but like you could easily say, okay, you go do this for a few weeks, you do go do this for a few weeks, right? Even throughout the year, right? Because there's always bugs or there's always new features or, or whatnot to be added. But, but I'm kind of curious to know how do you guys kind of manage that queue because I, I'm sure you get feature requests. Some are probably good. Some are probably like, yeah, that'd be a, maybe nice to have someday. And then you probably get the if you know it hoverboarded me to work type feature requests. Yeah, I would, you right. know, like how do you kind of decide what actually makes it into a future version of of a product? Yeah, so, so I think it goes back to that three six months you know type of time frame. And so if you look out. Um, you know, a, a good development team will tell you that they're always going to be a list. Sure, exactly. And the reason you ha- reason you have lists is because of the 100 ideas, you have to force the good ones to the top of the list. Sure. And so you're always going to have that list. Everyone's frustrated with the list, but it's there. Uh, but we do a little bit of back and forth. I mean, we can be operations focused. Okay. And really trying to focus on getting efficiencies. Uh, and we might take a, it's not really a sprint, but we might take a season, you know, a couple of three months and really, really work on internal things. Our organization's pretty happy because the, you know, the dev team's showing some love. Okay. Uh, and then there are times that you know, the, the strategy team comes in and says, hey, here are three interesting ideas. We need some, some time to, to build us a working model of this so we can go play with it. So we kind of ebb and flow. And then okay. in between that, you've got emergencies and things that you know, our clients are asking us to do. So uh, the real client requests are always going to get priority. Sure. And then you kind of bounce back and forth between efficiency type things uh, as well as kind of building the future out there. Uh, and, and there's a pretty good ebb and flow. Uh, it, it's not a real formal process, but, you know, when you sit down with your directors and you kind of talk about what's important, uh, the team can get behind to that. But you can't spend, you know, nine months a year focused on really fun things and let your organization drown. That'll never work. So you, so you have to ebb and flow between those. Sure. So I, I'm assuming you guys are, are kind of a agile development company. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair. Okay. The the one question I have about that is because, and I'll tell you right now, I think agile is, I'm a, a huge fan of agile, but I think not every week or not every sprint necessarily needs to be an agile sprint. Like there's times right, where right. you literally need to pull in and I don't know, it's hypothetical, but like you need somebody from like the design side or maybe multiple people from the design side, the development side, maybe the business side and and maybe customer support or a handful of other kind of verticals. And you literally need to get in a boardroom or a room and and kind of not argue, but discuss kind of like, okay, I think we should maybe build in this feature because of this, this and this. And you're all in the same room and you're kind of deciding where that doesn't really fall into a sprint. And I, I think like the, the funny thing is, and tell me your experience with this, is it, a company that's moving into becoming an agile company thinks that every week that their team's working needs to be in some sort of sprint or agile thing. And I think for me, that's never been the case. There's been times where it, oh. you know, you, it might be like months of sprints and then you might need like a month or two off of being, or certain teams in sprints, 
to, because you're you're reworking or you're figuring out something. Have you guys kind of found that? I'm I'm always kind of curious about that. Yeah, yeah, it is. So let's use uh, Jico as an example. You can imagine when we were going down this path, and you said, you know, and we'll call it a sprint for the sake of arguing right now. But okay. listen, I just needed MVP. I just need something I can play with. Sure. And then once you play with it, you realize, oh my gosh, this has some legs in it. Then mm-hmm. to your point, you've got to sit down with all the right people involved, a kind of a, a cross-functional group, and you've got to sit down, look at a whiteboard, and you really have to plan this thing out to the point that it becomes a project, and it might take six, eight weeks of focus on this project because you've made sense to get made, made the decision to go do that. Uh, let's use a, a dashboard as an example. You might have a client request for a dashboard feature, and you could sprint real quick to get something put in, but someone says, you know, in order for us to really make this worthwhile, we really should relook at the dashboard. And by doing so, it might take, you know, one or two year developers, you know, six to eight weeks to really kind of do some redesign work. And so so we we have to pace ourselves and be able to step back because no one can live in that burnout mode of sprinting all the time. It's just not efficient and I don't think you're gonna get great work out of it. No, I hundred percent agree. And I, I just like sometimes it's I just in my past I've seen companies where they or startups where they just like we need to be agile all the time every every week and it's like, no, you you really don't. And it's nice to see that you guys are doing kind of the same thing and also it's easy for me to just say that but actually have people like yourself that are openly saying like no 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 our organization or at least parts of our organization sometimes aren't always doing that because they're doing something for six or eight weeks like building a new dashboard for example i think that's that's actually you, you really have good to. advice you have to it's like all things in life kevin you, you have to have some balance right if not you'll just find this whole burnout thing so there you have to have that the balance between Everything's important right now or everything has this tremendous speed as opposed to sit back a little bit and let's really be thoughtful and think through it. Uh, and if you have a good mix of that, I think you'd have a much better product long term. Sure. So we've kind of covered this a handful or well, you, it's kind of come up throughout our conversation today about, about burnout. And how do you kind of make sure that, you know, people on your team or yourself or kind of upper management don't burn out? Well, yeah. We, uh, we, uh, we have a, a Monday morning meeting each week in our organization where okay. we, uh, we, we spend time you know, walking people through things. And then we also have a, uh, a monthly fireside chat. And the last fireside chat that I have is total team comes in, uh, just really focused on burnout and, and what it means. And, and primarily looking at it to say that burnout doesn't mean that you've uh, kind of gone off the deep end. You've got to go visit a psychologist or psychiatrist because it's gone crazy. It really is. You're, you're just done. I mean, you're just, you're exhausted mentally, physically. And what we tell people is that it's not often that if you're burnt out at work that you're going to notice it from a work standpoint, but you're going to, you're going to notice it in relationships. Okay, sure. Okay. You, you're going to notice it in your health. You, you're going to notice it in all these other areas. So part of what we do is, is try to can encourage people to kind of hold each other accountable and really to kind of self-assess and like, all right, Am I really kind of burn out my relationships and these other areas? And is that the cause or is work causing that? Or do I have this personal scenario that's real? I'm just burnt out at home. I've got a new baby. Things are kind of, you know, going through things. And we tell people, listen, anything can happen for a season because you know what? The baby goes through colic. You're going to be okay. Or this, this major issue with the system, we can't find this bug and you're going to have a week or so. But if you're constantly dealing with this, this kind of hamster wheel of burnout all the time, you can't keep going down that path. And so our director of people and culture does a great job of meeting with our team to kind of do self-assessment of one-on-one uh, with those team members. Okay. Uh, listen, Kevin, you and I are both smart enough to when you start to see it and you ask the right kind of questions without being insulting. Sure. Uh, and also give people permission to say, you know what, I just need some time. Okay. I've just reached this, this melting point because, you know, you need people for the long term and just having people burn out and kind of crashing is not a good thing. Uh, and everyone thinks that when you're 23, you can go do that, but it's everything for a season. So we talk about it. Uh, we let people know that it's okay to engage about it, and you make people aware. And that's really all you can do. Uh, and then with that creates great conversation. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's really good. And and so I, I think you have a, a whole person dedicated to kind of the team. And, and what was their title? Culture and director of people and culture people and culture so what exactly is kind of their their day-to-day role in the in the organization obviously like 
probably sounds pretty obvious, but there's got to be things that they do that even somebody like myself wouldn't think of kind of right off the bat that they kind of is, is part of their day-to-day responsibilities. Yeah. So I'll take you back to my, the, the olden days when I used to, to work for P&G. Okay. So worked for Proctor and you had this formal uh, work and development plan annual review process. And most people that have worked for large entities understand that annual review process where okay. you get together once a year and no one's told you anything and you walk into this review and people just, you know, blah, here's all these bad things you've done over the last year. You're like, you're kidding. No one ever told me this. And everyone's frustrated with the review process and you kind of move on. Sure. And so what we wanted to do is to make sure that it wasn't this this similar kind of setup. So one example of what her name is Christy Dake. One thing that Christy does day in and day out uh, is that she ensures that she has one-on-one time, at least quarterly, if not more than that, with individuals just to have kind of a health check. Okay. Not a review process, just a health check. So that they're not worried, oh, gosh, I have to talk to my manager today. I can't let them know what I'm really thinking. No, you can talk to the director of people because she's really focused on you, and she's not going to be you know, necessarily judging you or worried about your work productivity and what's happening over, t- over here. So it really provides kind of a safe place for her to engage. Then what happens from, from my perspective is that she comes back to the management team and say, hey, you know, I've talked to all 55 people over the last six, eight weeks. Here's kind of a theme or a, or a tone that I've seen over here and here. Interesting. And we can make some changes left or right a little bit without worrying about individuals and, and being able to hit that. Now, their direct reports, the direct managers still manage the business and, and manage all the things that are associated with that. But, but when it really relates to how are you doing, how are you progressing, what do you think about the culture, what do you think about your role, about teammates that are here, and what do you think about the party we had last week – those are all the things that this person does, and that really is a, a full t- one of the pieces of their full-time role is to really assess the culture, and you assess the culture as it relates to people, uh, and it's just been invaluable to us. But because as the, the CEO of the company, the owner, you can imagine if I tried to do 55 one-on-ones, I'd hear something completely sure. different yeah. that, that she's going to hear, and she's going to hear probably things closer to truth. Sure. And she's got that ongoing relationship. So now over the course of the year, she's probably going to have anywhere from six to eight really, really meaningful conversations with every individual. Uh, and that's a really important role to have. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's great. So I'm, I'm curious, though, at what size was your team when you brought her on board to kind of handle that? Uh, we hit about 40 people okay. in, in that in that range. Now, she was you know, doing other operational type work for us and, and HR reports into her. So we've okay. got an HR manager that does some things that's much more on the, the legal side and that sort of things. But but she really is the person that has her hand on the pulse of the organization. She was also, uh, you know, our very first employee. Oh, interesting. And so she has worked every job. She's lived it. She's basically either recruited or hired every person we brought in the organization so she was the perfect person to take this on because she has a, a direct relationship with every individual and there's that trust factor that's there. And it was kind of a natural progression for us. I mean, we've, we've seen this in other organizations that when you get around 50, 60 people or so and you look at spans of co- uh, chain of command, uh, y- you need someone that can really have their hand on the pulse of the organization or y- you could run into that burnout thing we talked about or culturally you start to see it to the point, Kevin, that um, our – Think about our retention rate or our, uh, I guess I, I'll bet we're at 5% or so. Oh, wow. That's actually really uh, of, good. Of a, of a true regrettable loss. Okay. Uh, and most people that leave us are going on to great assignments that we wish them well and we encourage them because, you know, of the environment we're in. Uh, so that tells us that it's working because we don't have 10, 20% of our organization leaving all the time. Sure. Uh, we've got folks that are staying and we've got a pretty healthy culture because of it. It's not because of me. It's really because of her. Interesting. Well, and I, I think for, for people that haven't kind of heard of Field Agent or JITCO, you guys are, are um, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, correct? Silicon Valley. I mean, we're in retail Silicon Valley. Okay. Um, but That's some width. Yeah. No, but no, we, no. We, but... live in the, live, we live in this ecosystem of, of Walmart with about 1,200 supplier teams working with Walmart, and that's the ecosystem we live in. Interesting. But, well, well, I guess the point I'm trying to get across that is, like, you guys aren't in the valley, and you're doing kind of these, well, modern business 
is, is kind of a weird way of putting it. But like you guys aren't in the valley and you're still doing these kind of things that you potentially only really really buy in the valley. Right. And I think that right. in itself is inspiring, um, you know, that and, and do you find, though, that kind of people younger and kind of older have kind of adopted this, you know, obviously having a person that cares about how how their health and well-being is outside of kind of their direct reporting manager has that been well kind of received from kind of everybody in in different age ranges and kind of you know from millennials to gen xers etc has that been kind of well received from everybody across the company because it, it seems like it has but well, well it has but kevin because it's genuine okay interesting See, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not like this hey we're going to put in this structure and you only can go talk to so and so this is a a person that genuinely cares about you. They help recruit you. They help bring you on. Um, you know, w- this person's involved in everything from uh, birthday parties here to outside functions to Christmas parties. I mean, this is the person that people see as that kind of go-to sure. person. And when you have really hard uh, employee conversations that we have, mm-hmm. this person's sitting there as well. I mean, so they are that go-to person. Okay. Now, this person's... Um, not the person that's going to tell you what's going on with your daily work. Uh, they're not. There's not the person that's going to recommend that you get promoted here or there. That's what the business does. Okay. But this person is, is intimately involved with you as the person. So if you're a millennial looking at this, you're like, this is just great. Now we have, you know, you could talk about mentors and how you work through that. But you know, we're not sitting at 500 people with all these people that need to have mentors. But but here's a, a person that can come in to help you kind of work through things. And so it solves a lot of problems for us. Sure. Well, and it also has to help that people in the company can see that you as the CEO and founder basically buy into this, right? It's not like right. you just put this person in this role and you could care less what happens, right? Like you legitimately believe in this person and what they're doing. And especially if, you know, you promoted her from being kind of the first employee into this role and to your point a second ago, when they sit in and kind of reviews and, you know, maybe some of the good and, and talk bad talks that need to happen throughout the year. Bad's kind of the wrong word, but like constructive criticism, uh, right. you know, kind of talks is uh, makes sense, right? Because people need to see that, right? And I think even to your point early, early on the show about you getting the latest iPhone, I know people are like, oh, of course the CEO has it. But like you're playing with the new technology yourself. I think that's what people need to take from that, right? And you yourself are staying current and, you know, you're you're kind of adopting the company and, and growing the company and adding people in roles to make your company successful and kind of ba- make it into this modern company outside of the valley. And and that's partly why I really like having you on the show. Well, well I appreciate that. And, and then as, as we talked to one of the earlier shows is that, you know, for the listeners that are tuning into this, um, if you are in the process of solving a problem and you can use technology to solve that problem, it really doesn't matter where you're located. You can find really smart people that want to jump on board and follow that passion and to go follow that solution. Uh, just because you come up with an interesting idea you think is kind of fun isn't going to get the talent that you're looking for. Uh, you really have to be solving something and people can get behind to that. And then the second thing is we talked before is that just because you're solving a problem makes makes sense. You know, you've got to let people think that they're a part of something bigger than they are. Sure. Bigger than themselves, if you will. Uh, and, and that's why it's so important for these solutions and the things that people are working for that they can see how it's going to impact the world, how it's going to impact, you know, other organizations. And people can get behind to that. Uh, you throw those two things together and you're a halfway decent person, man, you can create something anywhere. No, I, I 100% agree. And I think that's really good advice. But we are coming to the end of the show, but I have one more question I want to know about. Do you guys have any remote employees or allow people to work off-site, or does everybody have to be kind of in the office? Uh, we, we do. We've got, uh, uh, let's see, we've got three salespeople that are out in the field, which would make sense yep. along those lines. Uh, and we've got a couple of folks that don't necessarily work remote, uh, but they actually can work from home time to time. So we've got a pretty okay. flexible work work environment here where – Hey, uh, one person might have a 40-minute commute and the other person has 10. Uh, the person with 40-minute commute may say, listen, I just, I've got a lot to do today and it's just another hour and a half. And so I'm just going to stay at home today. So we're pretty flexible along those lines. But in general, uh, we expect people to kind of have some basic office hours, whether they're working at home or outside of that. 
uh, and that's kind of how it plays out. And then obviously the other countries we have uh, are, are fairly, you know, fairly remote as well. Sure. Uh, so I, I'd love to say that, you know, we've got a structure to that, but we try to be as need based as we can be to, to be realistic with what people have from a personal need standpoint. Uh, but we've also got a great environment here, so people like coming in. Hey, we've got a ping pong table and a foosball table, so who wouldn't want to come to work? Sure, I, I don't blame them. Come on, <laughs> come on. So, Rick, we're we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe before you kind of give where people can get more information about you guys, maybe give a quick overview about kind of field agent and Jico for anybody kind of tuning in a bit later or hasn't really heard of either product? Because I know we've kind of talked about it throughout the show, but maybe give kind of a quick overview of both products and then where people can get more information about both. Sure. So Field Agent, we, when you think of uh, our world, and uh, we're changing the way people collect information. Information comes to us in three big buckets. There's a an audit type of information that we're going to get, which is you know pricing, display compliance, things like that. Uh, we also do some basic uh, research, which is research and insights. We've got... You know, over 1.1 million people in the U.S. alone that have downloaded the app that can provide you insights. And we also do some mystery shopping work where we're capturing information while people are using or engaging products. So that's kind of this, this big bucket of work that we do. And there's really no piece of data, whether it's uh, out in the public or at someone's home, that if you've got a question regarding, we can't gain access to. So that's field agent. Where, what JICO comes in and plays in is that there are times you're saying, I don't need a thousand data points. I don't. I don't have to be statistically relevant. I just kind of want a qualitative approach. I just want a couple of real quick answers uh, related to what the dairy section at Lidl looks like, or or tell me what the frozen food section looks like uh, at Whole Foods, or can you show me how you store your golf clubs in your garage? Because I'm trying to come up with a really interesting new widget on how people store things in their garage. Those are things that Jico can do. Uh, that will allow you within about 15, 20 minutes to get photos and information from everyday shoppers or consumers uh, so, so that you can actually process that information and have answers to questions uh, that you really need access to in a very timely manner. So that's kind of our world. And so I tell your users that, that uh, uh, we're very DIY friendly, so you can log on to fieldagent.net, uh, swipe your credit card, and for a few dollars you can capture information from virtually any location uh, around the, uh, the U.S. or six other countries. And if you want to go to JICO, uh, it's a simple uh, subscription model where you can sign up and we're going to be your uh, location-based Google for you. So you can do that too. It's really, really straightforward. Perfect, Rick. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show and look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Listen, I appreciate it. We don't talk before uh, uh, the Christmas and New Year's, man. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, you as well, man. Um, yeah, and uh, we should probably, you know, schedule another one sometime in the new year. I'm, I'm curious to know what you guys actually execute on in the new year and kind of where you take both products. I look forward to it. Thanks right. much. Thanks, man. Okay, later. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.